welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thank you, big voice in the sky. This is the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast, final episode of the week. Barton Simmons, uh, we've, I mean, listen, we we had great response uh, to Shay Dixon, and now we get to roll out another guest. Are you excited about bringing Tom Fernelli on here? I am. I understand he is a whiz kid when it comes to picking games, and uh, we'll, we'll have to be picking his brain throughout the year on that one. Yeah, he's uh, he does. He, interestingly, um, he has his own power rating system that he has sworn oh, by Oh, he's for one years. of those guys. Yeah. Oh man, that's I'm intimidated now. He's, I would never be smart enough to make my own power ranking. His uh his his uh CBS one thirty ballot, you and I each do fifty teams. He does all one thirty exclusively by what his power ratings are. Oh really? Yeah. Well that's that's a that's a cop out then. That that's easy. I, I would never be like <laughs> once I start getting to like the forties and fifties, I, I I almost like it's hard for me not to check out. Like these are all they're all the same. But um he's actually got a power rating system that, that maps it out for him. That's <clears throat> that's impressive. Yeah, he goes through and like there's always a, a, a time on Sunday where he's gotta sit in and in, insert his data and he will not tell me the formula, but we've been working together for seven years now and I've started to figure out there's like certain uh, statistical anomalies, like when you start to see what ends up like getting teams moving up or down. He's I think I think he's really big on finishing drives or you know there's there, there's a lot right. that go, you know red zone conversions it's all basically what he thinks makes a good team in total statistical form so that actually gives me a little more confidence in the 130 rather than just like eyeball test like the whether UMass is better than uh, Old Dominion or whatever you know that's that's if if, if there's some some numbers going into it that makes me like that legitimizes the list even more to me. He does it with a number system, and so does Jerry Palm. Though Good. you cannot tell me, and I have had many, many meals, broken bread, and shared drinks with Jerry Palm. You cannot tell me that Jerry Palm is not half computer himself. But He's not a human. <laughs> there, that, that does make me feel better about uh, only limiting my list to uh, to fifty, because you know they they give us the option of going all the way up to one thirty. And I limited it at 50, and I feel like I'm, I'm kind of taking the easy way out. But now that I know that these are just like whiz kid computer guys who are, are inserting their data, I, I, that's not me. I'm a, well, no, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a subjective eye test kind of person, and uh, I would not be able to make that list. I use statistics to inform my decisions, but my final slotting of teams is all about what I believe. And the one of the reasons that I, I like to do 50 is that it's like, all right, so, like, good team or bad team? There's 130 in FBS, and there's 70 bowl spots. And so it's like, are you a top-half team in college football? Are you going to win more than you lose? Kind of, kind of feels about right. Try to tier them out, and then once I get my tiers, slot them into position. I, I think that 50 is a good number. I feel very confident in our approach. I do, too. All right. we're, we're, yeah, yeah. All right. You uh, you ready to buzz it up? I'm ready for the jingle, brother. Play the jingle. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp buzz. Camp, camp buzz. 
Cam Campus. Talking about players that are buzzing. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, I'm ready. All right. So we're going to start in the Big Ten today. All right. Okay. Uh, Iowa. The Hawkeyes bring back all kinds of talent on the offensive line, right? Well, they've got a guy that may just be too good to not get into the rotation at offensive line in Tristan Wirfs, true freshman, former state champion wrestler, former uh, shot put discus thrower, he former U.S. Army All-American, former four-star in 24-7 sports, I had someone at Iowa tell me he's our next first-round offensive line draft pick. Whoa. Uh, And so he is clearly turning some heads early in camp. And, uh, again, probably won't win a starting job just because they bring back so much talent and so much experience on the offensive line. But, you know, he is – again, he's just just too talented to to redshirt uh, from from what I'm being told. So – uh, Tristan Wirfs, write the name down now. He's just another anonymous big ugly at Iowa that's going to be a, a, a millionaire here in a few years. W-I-R-F-S, Tristan Wirfs from Mount <laughs> Vernon, Iowa. What? That's, where that's where did he, where he come from? Who that, who that boy, who he is? You know, I feel pretty good about us. And, and obviously, you know, he hadn't played a game yet. So we'll see if, if, if this plans out but but y'all pretty good y'all named him a u.s army all-american i know and that's what i was gonna say like i i'm proud that that so one of the the processes that i really value in uh, the evaluation process and then in identifying talent is finding other points of reference that verify that a kid is a good athlete and and an elite competitor and and it works you know his film was good but he's from a uh small school in Iowa. So how, you know, how do you even know that the kid's talented? Well, then you, you, you really, you look at his, his throwing numbers in track and field and he's like one of the best in the state. Um, he, you look at the way he, he competes in wrestling and he's one of the best in the state. And so then those sort of things, you, you realize how flexible he is and you sort of start to see the other athletic elements to his game. And, uh, and, and that's, so I hope he pans out cause, cause we were way higher than everyone else in his ranking. And uh, so that's going to be a feather in the cap for for me if if he does. Hell yeah, Tristan Wirfs. All right, do we have another buzzer? Yeah, let me give you another one. Out of Oklahoma, Mm. uh, Robert Barnes. There's actually a couple of freshmen that are going to play. Maybe I'll save the other potential starter uh, for another camp buzz. But Robert Barnes at safety is, is making a run at the starting job. And at the very least, he sounds like a guy that's going to, you know, be in in the dime or nickel packages as a safety. He's going to get playing time as a true freshman. He missed. He's from South Lake Carroll, Texas. He missed most of his senior season to injury, but he was a. We actually had him as a five star at twenty four seven Sports. He's uh, a long, big, athletic physical kid that can really run in the on the back end and and has great range and instincts and despite not being an early enrollee despite not playing in the spring and and despite coming off an injury his senior year he showed up ready to roll and again a guy that probably won't redshirt and probably is going to at the very least play in, in package situations if not start at safety so so robert barnes uh 
from from a long term perspective, this is another guy that's going to be uh, a a national name, I think, in the secondary. So the the Oklahoma secondary, uh, you know, when you've got uh, Okoronkwo up front, you've got um, let's see. Which Jordan? Jordan Evans. <laughs> Jordan Evans at linebacker. Too, uh, yeah, yeah, like the things are starting to come together for that defense. That's. I mean, I think that that is. I think that there is probably a lot more confidence in in their defense than than like outside of Norman than or inside Norman than there is outside Norman. Um, they've got some players and. They've got some young guys that are good. I think a lot, you know, middle linebacker is going to be a spot that they need. That that I'll just go ahead and say the other guy that I was going. I'll give a, a, a bonus here. A, tri- a triple buzz. A, a triple buzz. <laughs> uh, but Kenneth Murray, true freshman, is probably going to be. It sounds like it's a really good shot. He's going to start a middle linebacker as a true freshman. And yeah, so if if that kid is good, which I think he is, and they've got. You know Jordan Thomas. They got Caleb Kelly and uh, Okoronkwo, and uh, they Caleb Kelly has developed. I mean, so that yeah, I think OU is suddenly, at the very least, really really talented defensively. And I mean, we all know what Lincoln Riley is going to do on offense. So um, yeah, I, th- I think that there's some positive buzz coming out of that uh, out of that preseason camp right now. Oklahoma, not a dark horse, but. Tom Fernelli is here. So Tom, let's go to Tom Fernelli so we can talk Dark Horses, Power 5 Conferences for the 2017 season. And now it is my pleasure to welcome a voice that you will soon find to be a familiar one, a regular one. Uh, he will be joining us during the season to help us make against the spread picks as one of our picking experts uh, on a weekly basis. And today we're, we're going for some things that are a little bit off the radar, below the fold. Uh, we're going talking under the radar teams, dark horses. It's Mr. Tom Fernelli. Hello, Tom. Hello, gentlemen. How are we? We're good, man. We're uh, we're we we are we are in the spot where I feel like we've we've got like the top ten to twelve teams pretty much figured out, right, Barton? Like every everyone seems to be agreeing on. I think there's the, a consensus. Yeah, there's like a consensus top dozen that everyone's like, all right, these the this is the right combination of uh, of talent, experience, and you put together a, a dark horse series, so. Uh, for those who might want to go back and search it, these are all available on CBSSports.com and CBS Sports Digital, um, and that is our launching point for this conversation. So shall we def- shall we define dark horse before we dive into this? Tom, how did you define dark horse? Uh, pretty much a non-traditional power who nobody's really picking to do anything this year, or you know, nobody's picking to win their division. Put it that way. Okay. All right, um, and I wanted to open this up with uh, a conversation that I've been waiting to have with the two of you for almost a month now. Barton, I want you to tell Tom what you told me. What is the ceiling for Clayton Thorson? <laughs> I have placed the ceiling on Clayton Thornton- Thorson as first-round NFL draft pick. That's a very high ceiling. Uh <laughs> As some, I've I've watched a lot of Clayton Thorson, and I'll say this: I mean, his freshman year was not good, and the beginning of last year was not good. But the last six, seven games last season, it was 
He was pretty good. So he started Steady living up to that high. Yeah. So I, I would not be surprised to see a leap this year. I just I think the first round pick stuff that I've seen now I heard from you and I've seen from others is bit premature. So well, first round pick is that doesn't necessarily mean first round pick of this year. I mean, he's got another year to go. Um, you know, he is the the reason that I say first round pick is because he's he has progressed as as you said st- slowly but surely. He is six four. He is athletic, and he is. Uh, I mean, he can flick a ball and and go far past the sideline, no problem. I and mean, he is he's got the arm talent. And so my, I'm just saying the tools are there as he continue to develop. And uh, he's, he's got all the traits from an off-the-field standpoint, too. I think probably the, the likely scenario is he has a he, – he starts to give sniff at it. He starts to give me a – make me not look like a total idiot this year. And then <laughs> next year is the year that he, he really has that breakthrough season. No, I I, th- I I agree with you on a lot of that. I, I think he has a lot of good tools. And I think if you look at the quarterbacks in the Big Ten, if you want to judge their ceilings of the ones that are there right now, he probably has one of the higher ones in the conference. I, I'm just I, – I think there's still a long way to go before he gets to that point. But you've got Northwestern as one of your uh, dark horses in the Big Ten. So um, is would you be surprised if Northwestern has uh, what would be a huge – um, a, a huge season, a huge moment for Pat Fitzgerald in this program. Do you would you be surprised if Northwestern is in the Big Ten championship game? No, I, I really wouldn't. I you look at when you look at the Big Ten every year, we always think you know the East is Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and then we look at the West and it's considered wide open. But in reality, Wisconsin, since the Big Ten has gone to division format for the last six years, Wisconsin's won its division four times. So the West isn't as wide open as we kind of believe it is. But I think Northwestern, if you look at the division this year, while I understand why Wisconsin's the favorite, in my mind, Northwestern is the most likely to challenge Wisconsin for the division title, partially because of what we just talked about with Clayton Thorson and his ceiling and the fact that he has been improving. If he could take that step forward... Even if they lose Austin Carr on offense, they lose a guy like Anthony Walker on defense. This is still a very veteran team. There's a lot of experience coming back on this roster, and they have a lot of experience on the offensive line. So when I think of what Pat Fitzgerald has done over his time in Evanston with the Wildcats, generally when he has veteran teams and he has a strong offensive line, you know, shocker of all shocker in the Big Ten, that tends to help you win a lot of games. And I think that could be the case again this season with Northwestern. So I, I really like your Big Ten dark horse picks, and I'm with you on Northwestern. And, and the other thing about Northwestern is as many starters and, and veteran guys as they have coming back, they did lose Austin Carr, but they get Jalen Brown in as mm-hmm. a transfer at receiver. That could soften that blow a little bit. And then, I mean, part of this schedule is just a product of being in the Big Ten West, but it's it's a pretty manageable schedule. They get Penn State across the division, and they are at Wisconsin. But it, it's beyond that. There's no real games on there that I, I mean. I think they would be you know, within within a touchdown or favored at, at just about every other game. Um, so there's there's a lot to like here. Yeah, when you when you look at their cross divisional draw, I mean, when you're getting when you have to take on three teams from the East, and you end up getting Penn State, Michigan State, and Maryland. That's that's doing pretty well. You have, yes, you have to play Penn State, but Michigan State and Maryland are certainly two very winnable games, and the biggest test will be that road trip to Madison. I think that's that's the game that's probably going to decide the West Division. Ooh, all right. 
Um, you also have, you also had Iowa in the West yeah. too. Yeah. So uh, so I, I'm 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 with you there. I want to hear your thoughts on Iowa too. But I, I'm I'm on the same page with the Hawkeyes. You know, Iowa has to replace C.J. Beathard at quarterback, a couple of their skill position guys, and. For me, I I always think that we overrate replacing skill position guys. I don't I think quarterbacks are tough to replace, but when it comes to Iowa, I really don't think yeah. the skill position guys nearly matter as much for most other teams. I think when I look at Iowa, I want if if they have a veteran offensive line and a veteran defensive line and good special teams, they're going to have a good year and they have a very experienced offensive line. In fact, I think there's more returning starts on Iowa's offensive line than there is any other in the Big 10. So I look at this team, I look at Kirk Ferentz's history, and it's a lot like Pat Fitzgerald. You give him a veteran team, you give him a veteran offensive line, he's going to find a way to win games. So I there's I have a suspicion, although I think Northwestern is the more likely one to be the dark horse in the West and win the division, Iowa is is in position to have one of those seasons where they win nine, ten games out of nowhere, and everybody's like, where did they come from? What do you think? All right, let's uh... – are we good in the Big Ten before we pivot out of here? Any anything else? You've also got Minnesota, but you mentioned it as a wild card, and I I, I think that Minnesota. I think that I've got my Minnesota wins like around seven, where they might beat somebody that is unexpected. But I'm I think it'll just take a couple years to get everything in place. What's your well, general? The, the thing with Minnesota is their schedule is ridiculous. I mean they they could feasibly start the season eight and zero seven and one. They start with Buffalo. There's the road trip to Oregon State, which I think is you know the, clearly their toughest non-conference game. But then after that, it's Middle Tennessee, home versus Maryland, on the road against Purdue, home versus Michigan State, home versus Illinois. And then finally, at the end of October, they go on the road to face Iowa. So I think the back end of their schedule is a bear. But this is a team that could start off really well. And, you know, you never know with P.J. Fleck and the way he works things and his attitude and what he instills in his team. If this is a team that gets off to a really good start, maybe they carry that confidence going forward. But I, I agree with you. I, I tend to think they're more likely a 7-5, and 8-4 and four at best team. In the Big 12, uh, you've got TCU. And that's you know, this uh-huh. is this is a this is a TCU team that we've discussed here on the podcast it's like people forget Gary Patterson's their head coach. It's yeah. like it's like people forget that like if uh, if if Kenny Hill can limit the turnovers and have a little bit of an improvement, that there's no reason to think that they're not going to be able to have a dynamic offense. Um, what like what do you think is contributing to like I I believe maybe that it's all of the hype and excitement at Texas, but also at Oklahoma. We've got the changeovers with Lincoln Riley and Tom Herman, and that maybe all of this is contributing to why TCU is flying so, so low below the radar this season. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of that to it. I also think it's just the way they lost last year. I mean, they, they played well in their Oklahoma loss. They lost by six points. You know, that was early October. But in their other losses, they, they were getting blown out. They lost by 24 to West Virginia, 25 to Oklahoma State, and another 24-point loss to Kansas State. So I think that is still in the minds of a lot of you know voters. I think they were p- picked to finish fifth in the Big 12, you know, in the media poll preseason. And I I still see a team here that has plenty of talent. When you look, I part of the reason way I did these rankings, I went you know I, I looked at recruiting for each team in the conference. And in the last five years, if you look at recruiting rankings and just overall, the only two teams in the Big Twelve that have recruited better than TCU are Texas and Oklahoma. So if there's a team with talent on the roster that 
can bounce back quickly due to its talent. And it's also an experienced roster. I feel like TCU is that team. And the Big 12 is just such a strange conference this year. Yes. It's really hard to read going in because you figure Oklahoma is probably the favorite. But, you know, Bob Stoops just retired not too long ago. And Lincoln Riley is for all he's done as a wonderful offensive coordinator. We're yet to see the team under Lincoln Riley. So we, that, there's a bit of a wild card there. And then after Oklahoma, you think Oklahoma State's obviously the next best team. But then there's a huge vacuum of power after that top two. So I, I think that Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are the clear-cut top two teams in the conference. But I also think they're more vulnerable than most people realize. And I think TCU is definitely one of those teams that can step up and take advantage of that. And it's not like Kenny Hill has been always terrible i mean kenny hill's got some moments and he's and kenny chill sometimes yeah he, he, he pokes his head out there every once in a while so i i mean if he if he improves and just sort of s- settles down a little bit they, they're i mean they've got a chance I, I i agree with you the what one and and i i'm kind of with you on the big 12 too in terms of just being the kind of this wide open conference you could almost make a case for anyone below the top two to be a dark horse and one of the the schools you didn't mention that I actually kind of like as a dark horse is Baylor, uh, but but I, I I'm I'm curious your thoughts and where you stand on Texas because you do mention Texas as a dark horse too, and and I mean talk about a spectrum of <laughs> of, of outcomes we can see with this team. Are are you is this like a just hey? They're talented, so they you know they they could always break out, or is this like a are you truly bullish on texas i i'm probably a little too bullish i mean i'm trying to stay reasonable because i agree that the spectrum for this team is anywhere between five and seven and ten and two and in playoff maybe like it's yeah, this is going yeah. this is going one way or the other and it's just you look and obviously there's plenty of talent you know charlie strong for the even though he wasn't winning games he was the last two years he had top 10 recruiting classes at texas and they were too young to really help him out and save his job, but now the, all that talent is entering their junior and sophomore seasons, and it's it's going to be more able to contribute under Tom Herman than it had been for Strong. And you just look at it, and what we mentioned before, with that vacuum of power in the Big 12, when I, I keep getting asked, I mean, I'm not predicting it, but I keep getting asked who my college football playoff sleeper is, and when I look around at teams that you don't really expect, I just look at Texas and what Tom Herman has done. You know, we saw the quick, the way he was able to jumpstart Houston and really get it going. I would not be shocked if Texas just finally, you know, on offense, they get things together, which has been a big problem for Texas for a while. If Herman is able to help get that offense going and get it humming and be getting it on, on par with the teams it has to be in the Big 12, because no matter how good your defense is in the Big 12, you need to score points. I just see this team, if if things go right, Texas could have a very good season. That being said, a lot of things have to go right, but the, the chance is there. The guarantee is that, judging by Tom Herman's history, He's going <laughs> to win the Red River and lose to Kansas State. Yeah, he, he will beat Texas and Oklahoma State and then probably lose to Iowa State. You know, they'll have his <laughs> Tulsa moment like he did at Houston. Yeah, there's there's going to be some game on there that it's uh, it's going to catch you out of nowhere. Uh, how confident are you in West Virginia? Not super confident. It's, I, it's a will clear play, right? Yeah, no, it's somewhat. I think we're. I just think West Virginia is being written off a bit too easily. But the concern for me is that I feel like the one thing that really contributed to West Virginia's t- 
season last year and just Dana Holgerson turning that thing around was a defense that finally started playing defense and they lose so much on that side of the ball. So that that's going to be a considerable question mark and something that's going to be difficult for them to overcome. But I still think that there is enough talent there that maybe not winning 10 games again, but still being a reasonably strong big 12 team. Tony Gibson, if he has another big year, I mean, if they if they're able to reload defensively, mm-hmm. I mean that that guy's got to be a, a head coach. He'll be somewhere, thing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, because that he he's done s- some things defensively. Like, we we keep on looking for the, you know, how can you pair a, a great, you know, spread offense with a great defense, and it just doesn't happen very often. I think Tony Gibson sort of showed us that for the first time last year. And, and so I, I think if you're betting on Tony Gibson to just get this group right defensively, I think they'll be a lot – I think they'll be a lot better offensively. Um, so I, I am bullish on them also. I mean, they were 10-3 and three last year, which mm-hmm. is crazy. But So I don't know if they'll match that. But I, I agree with you just sort of in, in putting your chips in the table for, for Tony Gibson. Yeah, I mean, they're 10-3 they're and three last year, and they're being picked to finish sixth and – a conference that's kind of weak this year. It's just it's it seems like way too drastic of a of a drop. Is the Big Twelve uh, weak though? Because I there's so many teams in the middle of that. Con- like for example, we just talked about TCU, Texas, and West Virginia. We believe Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to be very good. There's the the. Are you not on the Kansas State? Things are setting up well for them this season because you know there's only but so many wins to go around, and I think that a lot of these teams are probably staring at uh, like a eight or nine win seat. Like there's going to be a lot of four and five, five and four when you're looking at the nine game schedule at the end of the season in the Big Twelve standings, and I feel like it's just going to be a couple of touchdowns that end up separating these teams. Yeah, I, I agree. I just think overall, though, from top to bottom, there's not as much strength in the conferences as there are the other Power Five conferences. So when I say down season or weak conference, that that's what I mean. I I think there are plenty of teams that are going to compete. I think it's going to be the most parity of any conference in the Power Five. I think it's probably going to be the most interesting title race. But I just I don't really see any teams that are, you know, just outside of Oklahoma. I don't see any real great playoff contender teams. Well, speaking of parity, you've got three SEC East teams yeah. as dark horses <laughs> in the in the SEC. I mean that that division is just bonkers. I, I don't know what's going to happen. So so, like if if Kentucky, Missouri, and or Tennessee are dark horses, then then someone's going to have a disappointing season. So where where are you most bullish in terms of these three teams and and kind of where, how are you seeing the SEC East shaping up? You know, it was it was really hard to find three actual dark horses in the SEC because in the West, everybody's a dark horse besides Alabama, but you don't really believe in any of them. And then in the East, you know, it's there's a lot of bad teams to choose from. I, I, I have Missouri on the list, not because I think Missouri is really going to compete for a title. I just think there's a chance that they could have a better season than anybody expects. But the team I'm most bullish on is Tennessee, simply because. Even though you know they they have to replace Joshua Dobbs and you know there's a new quarterback there for the first time in a while, so that's a concern heading into the season. It's 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 never great to have a first year quarterback playing in the SEC if you're trying to compete for a, a division title. But we just look at Tennessee last year and it, how well it was doing before basically everybody on that team started you know dropping like flies with injuries, and it kind of cratered towards the end of the year as it was dealing with that. But 
I still see a team that's got talent on it. I, I see a team that, as far as the rest of the East goes, I Georgia and Florida are clearly the favorites, but I don't think the gap between those two and Tennessee is as big as the perception truly is. And I, I think this is a team that can stay in that hunt for the East. What really concerns me, though, is what typically concerns me with Tennessee every year when it comes to trying to win division titles is is a schedule that you know we know they have to play Alabama every year. But the other team they draw from the West is LSU. They have to go on the road to play Florida. I mean, the only bonus of their schedule is at least Georgia's coming to Knoxville. Other than that, it's it's a bear of a schedule, and I think that could be the true downfall for them. But well, Tom, I mean, and, and well, in addition to that, they're playing Georgia Tech in the in the opener. Yeah. I, I just I got a buddy that's a big Georgia Tech fan, and he texted me uh, just yesterday. I didn't realize this. I haven't fact checked the stat, but but he said Paul Johnson's five and one in his last six SEC games. Yeah, which is yeah. I mean, he's a, I mean, he's so an that's SEC a, that's, a, that's a tricky matchup in Week One that I think a lot of Tennessee fans are just assuming it's a W. It's it's a very I mean anytime you play an option team it's a tricky matchup especially you know with Paul Johnson running it I I just think if there's any benefit to it I would much rather be facing Georgia Tech the first week of the season when I've got all off season to prepare sure. for them than I would coming off another game and I've only got a week so I I think that will work to Tennessee's advantage in the game I wouldn't assume it's a W for them at all but I I, I still think that they're more likely going to win that game than not Oh Georgia Tech's got all five uh, offensive line back talking to a former Georgia Tech offensive lineman. He's saying it's one of the best offensive lines uh, from tackle to tackle that Paul Johnson has had. I I just see uh, I see the cranky old CPJ coaching circles around the Vols in Atlanta on Monday night. I'm starting to get that vibe too, man. Believe like, it. <laughs> Believe it. Believe it. Uh, all right, so the – the my I'm starting to warm up on Missouri, and some of it's Barton's fault because <laughs> because there's sorry, op- man. there's optimism coming from Columbia, right? There is there that there what I what I was told is from a guy from a, from someone on that staff. He said I knew we were going to suck last year, but this year is different. We are really good. <laughs> That's basically the, the gist of what they said. So. Uh, there is optimism over there. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a there's a lot of experience on the roster and you just think that with Odom's history it's hard to believe the defense is going to struggle that that badly again in the, in his second year in charge. So I I don't know if we're going to see like Missouri suddenly winning another SEC East title, but I definitely think it's going to be a lot better than the team we saw last year. So like how are right, if if I you know, when you think that Missouri might be able to take a step forward, you know, you've got to start sliding other teams down in the in the SEC East pecking order. Like, where are you on South Carolina right now? I'm not a huge South Carolina. Ooh. I, I understand the reasoning for it. It's just, for me, I don't know if it's like PTSD when it comes to Muschamp, because I've seen Muschamp go into a lot of seasons with very talented teams and then kind of just face plant. And... I, I need to see South Carolina winning actual games this year before I can really, truly buy in. I, I feel like this is a team that could easily finish anywhere between nine and three and four and eight. Well, they're uh, so, go the, ahead. The, but before like, I think the question, too, for the East, because we've we're, we agree like that there's a lot of parity is to me now. The interesting question is, while all these teams have a real shot at, at bubbling up, I'm I'm curious Tom, what's your opinion between Georgia and Florida? Who is the more likely team to to cycle down 
to have a utterly disappointing season to finish seven and five to to miss and, and allow some of these other teams to have sort of the 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 uptick that that we think they got a shot to have because if, if that happens then one of those teams ha- has to disappoint i i think i have to go florida here simply because if i look at georgia they have returning experience at quarterback and they also have you know good running backs and i think that with their defense and that kind of offense that could probably be enough just to keep georgia at least winning the east whereas florida I've got. I still have serious questions about quarterback for that team. I, I know yes. Malik Zaire has transferred in, but I I don't know what it is about Malik. I, I've 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 always felt that when a player becomes a grad transfer, particularly a quarterback, all of a sudden he's like a hundred spots better in the minds of every single fan. And I, I feel like Malik Zaire, yeah, he's a talented kid, and I understand that there's a chance where he could you know do something good, but. I, I don't. I'm not excited about Malik Zaire. If I'm a Florida fan, I'm not really excited about a few guys on that roster quite yet. So I need to see that offense. But then again, I've had the same questions about Florida's offense for how long now? And McIlwain's won two East titles in his two years there. So maybe things work out. But I, I think if I'm looking for which one of those two is most likely to disappoint, I have to go Florida. In the Pac-12, uh, you are you're you're the you're the last one holding some Arizona stock. I think <laughs> I think everyone else has sold it, and uh, and I'll and, happily do it. And and you're just gonna you're just gonna ride this one out, huh? It's listen, it's they were so bad last year, and you didn't have to pay a lot of attention to them because of it. But I and because of that though, I think people don't realize how many injuries that team was dealing with True. last year. I mean. Rich Rich was going through quarterbacks every other week. I mean, they they had they went through four quarterbacks they had to play as their starter at some point. They had wide receivers playing running back by the end of the season because their running backs were so decimated by injuries. So I, I I'm the South to me, USC is obviously the clear cut team, you know, but you, it wouldn't be the first time USC let anybody down. So when I look at the rest of that division, and I, I see opportunity for teams to sneak up on people, and this is an Arizona team that it has talent, it has a veteran offensive line, and I just think that if injuries like regress toward the mean, just you know level out a little bit, it's going to be a much better team than we saw last year. So that that's really where I'm coming from as my Arizona as a dark horse team. I don't think it's going to be the worst team in the division is there a little bit of rich rodriguez is he he's, he's past his i mean he is he's certainly past his prime but is he i i have lost confidence that rich rodriguez is he's, he's starting to get into that old coach sort of like range where he's sort of all right you, you wonder how much energy still got left you wonder if he's still because they just haven't they're just there hasn't been the sex appeal with a Rich Rodriguez team in a long time. And so, but I, but we still have in our head those West Virginia days. And I wonder when we can just retire that memory and just, and, and call Rich Rodriguez what he is, which is not that great of a coach. My, my biggest, I would say gripe with Rodriguez is while he, you know, he was one of the innovators of the spread that is now, you know, prevalent everywhere. I don't think he's done enough to adapt his offense, I think that by and large, from what I see, a lot of the things that he still runs are the same things he's been running at West Virginia. And while other teams have kind of added other principles on their spread offenses, 
I'm not sure that Rich, from what I see, and again, I, I, you know, I'm not studying Arizona game tape every week, but I, I don't think he's really adapting as much as he probably should. I feel like he's looking at Arizona, the Arizona team, like it's Glenville State. Like he's he's talking about his roster right now. He's like, oh yeah, we'll play a couple quarterbacks. No big deal. Like, oh yeah, we'll just shuffle some dudes in and out. We'll just we'll get out there. We'll run our stuff. Like it it's it's almost as though the vibe around Arizona is that it's low stakes football. And I just think that at some point that when when you're again when you're playing in the Pac-12 and the Pac-12 is trying to claim to be a, a conference of champions when you're in the same division as USC, like playing low stakes football, I just think when the margin is small, it just doesn't give me a lot of confidence. Yeah, no, I, 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 again, I'm not like confident that Arizona is going to win the South. I just think that when I look at this conference, this is a team I think could win more games than most people expect. And if that happens, all of a sudden, you know, if, if USC fails to live up to expectations, Arizona could just be this year's Colorado. Ooh. Wow. You heard it here first. Tom Fernelli, Arizona. Colorado. Yeah, definitely. Definitely 100% they're this year's Colorado. Uh, okay, all right, all right. So we're going to we're gonna take you off the stand for the, the Arizona cross-examination. <laughs> but uh, you are – you're down with UCLA. You're down with Chosen Rosen. What's uh, – g- give me your – I am very much, like, undecided to uh, – to, to selling on, on UCLA, so so convince me that that Jim Moore has got this thing figured out. There's there's plenty of reason to be skeptical. Um, I just remember Rosen's freshman year and the potential that was you that was the talent that was so obvious and the potential that was there of what he could become. And last year, you know, with with the injury, it really killed UCLA season because they didn't have much quarterback behind him. And if he's healthy this year, I just feel like this is a team that is going to be a lot better. Now, what what really worries me, I'm not as worried about Rosen as I am the schedule because UCLA has a bear of a schedule. You know, they've they have you have your cross division. You play the nine games in the Pac-12, so that means you're playing four teams from the other division. The four they, of the four teams that UCLA got from the North, three of them are Stanford, Washington, and Oregon. The three teams you least want to play from the North, and then they've got you know they've got they go on the road to face USC at the end of the year in have, Salt Lake City. In Salt Lake City to play Utah. It's it's just in impossible schedule for the most part. So I feel like this is a UCLA team that could be miles better than it was last year and still finish like six and six and seven and five. So I I think that in the South, it's the same thing as I was talking about with Arizona, it's USC. And then who's really going to compete for, you know, that other spot there. And I think the UCLA is a team that could definitely do it because they have talent. I mean, Jim Mora for all my concerns about him as a game day coach, he has recruited very well since getting to, to, to Brentwood and, I just there's there's plenty of talent on the team. The schedule's a bear. If Rosen is healthy and playing like the kid we saw his freshman year, or at least we thought he could be, this is going to be a very dangerous team. You know what? I I my UCLA, um, you know, my positive spin on UCLA is I actually think their defense has a chance to be really good. So if Jet Fish can come in and get something out of their offense, and like you said, if Josh Rosen can stay healthy then maybe then that that 
can turn things around a little bit. Because I, I think this defense is, like you mentioned, they've recruited really well. They're really talented. They've got really good players on every level. So that that's – It's I fast, mean, that, too. It's a, it's an athletic group. Yeah. I, who you got in A&M, uh, UCLA, in the in Thunderdome game week one? <laughs> The uh, the which coach will get fired first? Yep. Um, right. <laughs> it's, uh, oh God, I'm going. I don't. I'm going to go A and M. Honestly, although it's like uh, it's it's as coin flippy as a coin flip can be. Honestly, I uh, if UCLA loses that one. I'm I am out. I'm, I'm off. <laughs> yeah, you can start. You can jump off. You know, you can jump off the boat if they lose that one. It's yeah. just. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> that that game is That's like, tough. I'm going to be tuning into that game like a newborn baby learning about the world for the first time, pretty much. <laughs> By the way, Barton, you need to copyright that as the Thunderdome game. You've 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 been on that for a while. Two coaches yeah. enter, one <laughs> survive. It's going to be a rough year for whoever loses that one. I'm on Texas A&M too. By the way, I I want UCLA to be good. But man. Well, Texas A&M is just always good at the start of the year, right? So it's like history suggests. Oh yeah, A&M will win that game. It's it's November that'll kill them. It's, it's I'm good. actually on UCLA in that one. That's the one I think. I think UCLA wins that one, and then and because I just I actually have less confidence in A&M than I do in UCLA. Mm. Not not a not indefensible by any stretch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's see. Over in oh or Oregon okay, you're on the Ducks. Yeah, I'm. I I feel the Ducks. I think Justin Herbert can be good. Uh, honestly, the offense is going to be fine. Oregon's offense is always fine. Willie Taggart's offenses are always strong. What the reason I'm buying in on Oregon this year is they're Chip Kelly when he was running Oregon, all the attention was always on his offenses because you know they moved so fast, they put up so many yards and so many points. Marcus Mariota was wonderful. But during those years when Oregon was Oregon, it was they also had a very good defense, and that's really been the problem in my mind with the Ducks the last few years is the defense has been slipping. So they bring in Jim Levitt to fix it, and we saw what Jim Levitt did with Colorado's defense because the biggest driving force behind Colorado's turnaround last year was its defense. And Levitt is inheriting a defense at Oregon with far more talent than he ever, you know, than he had at Colorado. So I would not be shocked at all if we saw a quick turnaround on the defensive side of the ball. And when you combine that with the talent on that offense, this is an Oregon team that could start looking like Oregon again really quickly. It took Jim Levitt a couple of years to really get it going at but, uh, at Colorado. But he was but you're starting right. from scratch there. Yeah, yeah, that's He's true. not starting from scratch in, in Eugene. I I like. I mean. I just I think it is we have an incredible group of running backs in college football and Royce Freeman somehow flies way below the radar on a lot of season previews. I think I think he could be ridiculously productive uh in Willie Taggart's offense. Like I I so, think he's just going to be put packing on the yards. Uh, for the the one just in preseason camp, the one like weakness that Oregon is trying desperately to address is is wide receiver. They've mm-hmm. they've got like nobody that's caught footballs. They they just moved um, the kid that that started last year, um, Brendan Schooler, that at safety who was like a true freshman All American. They just moved him over to wide receiver just to get some somebody who could who's got some size who catch the ball. So they're thin there, but like like you mentioned, Chip. I mean, shoot, Royce Freeman is one of the best in college football. So 
they're, they're going to ride him. And uh, Willie Taggart has has been able to instill sort of a power spread that you can that you can run behind a really you know physical run game. So um, I could I, I I'm feeling this. I could I could get behind Oregon. Um, all right, I I won't. You have more confidence, Tom, in the North Carolina Tar Heels than anybody living around the palatial Patterson studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Every Carolina <laughs> fan I know is just shruggy shoulders. Like even Larry Fedora is like, well, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> like, the, I mean, seriously, like there's, I think that, uh, Fedora said there's, he's ne- he's almost never faced, uh, this kind of turnover at quarterback in the skill positions, like what they have now losing, uh, hood, TJ Logan, like their top four receivers. I mean, they're left with like Thomas Jackson, Austin Froll. You're bringing Brandon Harrison. They're good on the offensive line. Like, you know, defense is whatever. It's a Larry Fedora team. But like, what's where where you where you got your hooks in the Tar Heels right now as a as a potential dark horse? I, it's let's be honest. I it's with Larry Fedora. I mean, we, we, we writing, I think, I just think we're writing North Carolina off a bit too easily. He's never had a losing record in the ACC since he's come to North Carolina. He's, you know, he's won an outright division title. He's finished tied for first, second time. He's finished second, third. His worst was fifth place. And I, I understand that when they lose Trubisky and they have so much, you know, they have to find receivers. There's, there's obvious concerns there. Clearly there's, it's not the most veteran offense in the, in the ACC. It's just, as we've seen, the reason Fedora got the North Carolina job in the first place is what he's been able to do with quarterbacks and what he's been able to do with offenses. He's he's got one of those, in my mind, one of those more plug and play offenses than anything. And I feel like no matter you know, I I think that this offense is going to be one that no matter who's at quarterback and who's at receiver and who's at running back, it's going to be putting up points. Now, will it be putting up enough points to really compete for a division title? I'm not super confident in that, but then again, as you know, we've gone over many times in our past history, in our history chip, ACC Coastal, anything can happen. So I, 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 I just don't want to write the Tar Heels off too quickly, but I'm not like super bullish on them. Barton? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I was just lost in thought of like how like how they're gonna get some wins out of this North Carolina team. So I I I I got I got lost in my own head there. Uh, I mean they start three grad transfers on offense. Um, you know I yeah hey like I if 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 North Carolina is a if they become like a division contender, then Brandon Harris, welcome to the NFL, brother. Like you've you've you have finally arrived because he he's this is his redemption song like this is his season to to find out if he really is the the talents that everyone thought he was supposed to be coming out of high school when he went to LSU so that I mean that's going to be as as important as anything when they head into this season is who's won the quarterback job which I, I would assume will be Brandon Harris yeah and how good does has he looked in the preseason right then that's the thing with Harris you know. You, we he was very talented coming out. Of high. I mean, he was four star for a reason. But which offense do you feel gives Brandon Harris the better chance to live up to that potential? The one he was in at LSU, or the one he's going to be in under Larry Fedora? No question. Yeah, yeah. that is one hundred. I mean, he's he should have been in this type of offense 
his whole from career. the start. Yep. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you yeah. what, Brandon. I'll, I'll have you throwing the ball more than fifteen times a game. That's for damn sure. <laughs> uh, all right. The uh, all right. NC State is in a position where the team is as loaded as talented. Uh, as experienced as they have been under Dave Doran, uh, you you play at Florida State, you get Clemson and Louisville at home. Like there, there is a, there is an expected ceiling to what the Wolfpack mm-hmm. can be. Um, do you think that they'll be able to reach that ceiling? And if so, and like you've got them listed as the dark horse, but where where when you're looking at this NC State team outside of the schedule, do you think they might have uh, the potential to slip up? Uh, first of all, I would love to see NC State in the Coastal. I would just love to see what this team is capable of doing this year with this roster. I, The offense to me, you know, the offensive line is experienced. I just, I don't, I mean, I watched NC State last year. There, there's there's good players on it. It's just, it's not explosive. It's not an explosive offense to me, whereas if I'm a defensive coordinator trying to stop it, I'm not stuck awake at night trying worrying about big plays. I, I think I can contain it and force them to have to put together long drives to go down the field. And as a defensive coordinator, that's exactly what I want you to do because you're more likely to make a mistake if you have to do that. But I just look at this team and it has such a stout defensive line and it's going to be so good defensively that it's going to be in every single game it plays, in my mind. Even, those, even the games against Louisville, Clemson, Florida State, no, the Wolfpack are going to be in those games. So if if it get a break, you know, a turnover here, turnover there, we could see them pull off an upset. Although I think realistically the best you can hope for as an NC State fan is third place in the division to finish ahead of one of those three teams. My only concern with NC State, because I agree that they've, they've got a chance to be really good, is they're almost starting to be the trendy pick. Mm-hmm. In, in the media, you know, uh, they're almost feeling like an Auburn 2015 or, or uh, um, I don't know, like I've seen people having them in the, you know, projected like Cole Kublik, I think, projected to the college football playoffs. Like uh, I, I talked to an NC State guy, uh, someone on that staff yesterday, and, and I was like, how are you guys looking? And he was like, I don't know, there's a lot of expectations for us this year, but we'll be OK or something like that. It's like they actually even are hearing it a little bit, it seems like. So. Um, oh, that, no. that's, oh they are, no. <laughs> <laughs> they are talented though, man. They are talented. All right. Uh, and what, speaking of the ceiling, when you've got, uh, Lamar Jackson and when you've got Bobby Petrino, there is certainly the potential for fireworks. My concern with the Cardinals is that we have seen, uh, We've seen their cards, <laughs> and uh, I get it. and there's not going to be a whole lot of surprises where they're going to be able to catch people off guard. Yeah, but were they really catching anybody off guard last year? I, I mean, mean they, Lamar Jackson could barely throw a downfield pass at the end of his freshman season. Yeah, but okay, so they're catching people off guard in September in their non-conference play, but once they get into the ACC, I think you kind of know what's coming, and this is still a team that went 7-1 and one in the ACC last year. Its only loss was on the road against Clemson by six points. Well, that's only because I, they had all the Wake Forest game plays, remember? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the that's reason big. they beat Wake Forest. <laughs> I mean, nobody else was able to that right. didn't have their plays, but it's just, I, I, I think that 
obviously Florida State and Clemson are the two teams that you're going to go to first. And I feel like Clemson, I almost wanted to include Clemson as a dark horse simply because I feel like too many people are just dropping them because of Deshaun Watson and forgetting the monsters that they still have on that defense and elsewhere yeah. on the team. But I just, I look at the, Louisville is still a team to me that can beat Florida State. It can beat Clemson. Will it, you know, will it win the division? I don't know, but it's still outside of those two teams. In my mind, it's by far still the most dangerous team in the ACC. They got to find an offensive line. That's the, that's what happened last year. Is they, yeah, they were catching people off guard early in the season, but then once people realized how bad that offensive line is, they started to figure out how to attack it. Lamar Jackson just didn't have a chance. So they they got to find a way to to get some stability up front because I, I mean, yeah. Lamar Jackson's probably good enough that he could, if he just gets a little help, he could be, there's no one that they can't beat. Yeah, it's, that's one of the things that I actually referenced in, in my post on Louisville. I says, you know, they they have there's they don't have much experience returning on that offensive line, but that could be a good thing. <laughs> that <laughs> offensive line last year was so bad. New faces. We will see if it uh, if it leads to any more uh, expectations. Is there of the teams that we've talked about today? Who, who, where do you think your like bold prediction or your dark horse from a playoff perspective is? And maybe it's not a team that we've talked about today. But if if you've got uh, your your one bold call your shot type team, where are you where are you making your bet trying to cash in on some good odds? I'm rolling with Texas, man. It's I mean to me to be a to get to a playoff, I feel like you have to recruit at a certain level, and Texas is one of those few teams that where you wouldn't we could consider a dark horse for a playoff spot that has recruited at the level you need to to get to that that to get up there. So I've said it all year, Texas, I'm not predicting it. I'm not saying <laughs> Texas is in my final four, but I'm saying if there is a dark horse team to get a playoff spot, it's going to be Texas. He is, I don't hate that pick. Yeah, he is Tom Fernelli. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. Tom, thank you so much. Uh, you will be back with us soon probably sooner before we'll get you back on again before the season starts, but then regularly as our picks master preview in the weekend. Uh, thanks for having me, fellas. Our thanks once again to Tom Fernelli uh, for his insight. He will be a regular here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Um, now it is time for the question of the day. The question of the day comes from uh, a, a hot headline, as often the questions of the day do, Uh in a conversation with Clay Travis of Outkick the Coverage, Johnny Manziel talked about uh, the possibility of, you know, if if the these final runs at the NFL don't end up working out, uh, looking into uh, college coaching. So that means our question of the day, Barton, is where... All right, let's make it a couple parts because I do want to break this down. Johnny Football is too, too much of a character. Uh, number one... Where do you think Johnny Football could land as a coach? And number two, would you hire? What would it take for you to hire, or would you hire Johnny Manziel as a coach? I I don't think I. Uh, man, that's I didn't. I wasn't ready for that second part. Whether <laughs> I would personally hire him because that's a tough one. I don't think I would. I don't think that necessarily like he's. I'd be, I think I'd be, I come, I, when I played in high school, our coach was a very old, he was an old school coach. And I think that that's in 
ingrained in me. Like that's that's just part of my DNA. And I don't think if I were running a program, Johnny Manziel, and as much as I appreciate Johnny Manziel and all the entertainment he's afforded us, I don't really think he would fit into my culture that I would try to build around a program. So that's my answer to the first question. What's what is where are you on on hiring of Johnny Manziel? Oh yeah, I'm gonna let him be a uh, grad assistant. <laughs> 100 percent right. he, he works he works in the chip patterson model because because if if he's uh if he's a grad assistant then he has to be in graduate school right yes and, uh, 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 uh yes he has to he, <laughs> he's technically he has to be in school yes yes so i i need to that that means that i've at least created another accountability system you know like another i'm i'm gonna give him a shot as like a as a grad assistant for you know an offensive analyst type thing i i will absolutely bring johnny manziel in to see if he can cut it i'm not going to hire him as my offensive coordinator and i am not going to give him immediate access to the quarterback room yet but i'll I'll let johnny manziel be uh, a grad assistant again like keeping eyes on him like he's uh like he's just another one of the players which maybe based on maturity might be close to accurate but yeah He'd be a good dude. recruiter yeah I, mean, I will tell you that he would be a good recruiter I, I he well he would be a good uh clo- like kids would be drawn to him i mean the guy is a he is a um uh you know he's he's one of the most recognizable names and brands in college football maybe college football history i mean is that a johnny football Tim Tebow, like those are two of the those are those are as iconic as as any modern day f- football player in, in college football. I would think. I would be nervous. You know, I almost said I would let him lead campus tours, but I would think that that might be negative recruiting if the parents are with the prospect, and then all of right. a sudden Johnny Football gets out there. Uh, you got to stick Johnny on the right family. Some yeah. families aren't going to be feeling his style. But I uh, I th- I th- I think that there's. There's the potential to uh, to to let him to let the even just taking Manzel in. I think that we could really show that our staff is about uh, you know giving chances to everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 a fair point. All right, where's but, he going to land? Well, to me, it, there's only two schools that that are even candidates here. All right, and it's it, and there are two fa- fantastic candidates. But one is like a standard question of the day answer, which is FAU. Oh, with Lane, <laughs> you call yeah. yeah. You even called FAU uh, what the the cast of Misfits right, on that staff, right. where you got Kendall Bryles, you got uh, Kiffin's brother, right? Kiffin's dad. You oh, got off field yeah. guys that are like you know have at, at one point been. Uh, handed show cause penalties in their previous like stops as head coaches like it's just a bunch of guys that um are are good coaches with success that have had nowhere else to go and uh now all of a sudden you know you throw johnny menzel in the mix and and more the but the bigger issue there is is it's just lane kiffin clearly he lives by the motto like his his credo that he wakes up every morning to is any publicity is good publicity Uh, you know and so i think he would take you know, people talking about FAU and a Johnny football edition would get him in the headlines and keep him in the headlines probably. And that's 
Tulane Kiffin is a is a great thing for uh, for for his program. All right, what's the other one? Oh, so the other one's West Virginia. Oh, with Holgerson. With Holgerson, uh, his old OC is there. Uh, well, I guess it was all his old quarterbacks coach. I think, if I'm not mistaken, there is is uh, is now there. Holgerson is just you know he's another guy that's just a little bit of an outside the box thinker. He's um, a little bit of an eccentric character in his own right. Of course, the you know the offense is what Johnny Manziel ran. Uh, so, yeah, I think that that I think that uh, that West Virginia makes a lot of sense. I still think that he can do no wrong in College Station. Yeah, you're probably right. You know, like, I mean, he would that, but the hey, that no, that wouldn't work, man. I got to push back. That would not work. There's too many. There's too much baggage in that town. There's too many groupies. There's too many distractions. There's too many. You know, he's already. How many times did he? tweet or talk about how he's so ready to get out of this town when he was there i well that I, so that's that's why dangerous. i didn't well that's why i didn't put him in lubbock because i figured there was less to do he would get bored in lubbock yes he would like college yeah. station i thought at least had a little bit more what about uh what's the most like metropolitan <laughs> i guess ucla or usc yeah are we saying that's a good idea or a bad idea oh man i guess we've drifted into just entertainment <laughs> at this point now yeah now you're just looking for like yeah like let's get the most tmz fodder oh okay uh, you ready unlv offensive coordinator johnny now manziel we're talking. now we're talking <laughs> so this is this has evolved from best fit to best worst fit to favorite fit yeah this is what's good for us this is what we want uh that's awesome uh very good week here on the 24 7 sports podcast our thanks to shay dixon tom fernelli big big thanks to you barton simmons um thanks to you chip we'll be we'll be back next week make sure that you subscribe to the 24 7 sports college football podcast so that you can get all the episodes first thanks barton you